Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja, Three Protectors, and Animals. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanders of Melisanda, and the upcoming Paradise Hills. Yeah, man. And... And you're drinking beer. You're and I'm clearly drinking, drinking beer. beer because we both we both popped our tops before this this bad boy got started. We both got some fresh some fresh drinking in front of us. And uh, what what fresh drinking do you have in front of you? Okay, so you know what's funny is uh, we were talking a little bit before we got on the air here, and you had mentioned you had a couple of beverages with a friend, and I was actually meeting up with um, Travis from the Accidental Aliens before this, and we had lunch earlier, and we went to. Uh, I think it's called Best Pizza and Brew, and it's mm-hmm. relatively close to where I'm at. And I was excited. I was like, "Okay, cool. I'm gonna get a couple of couple of slices." And they have like a deal. It's two slices and a beer for fourteen bucks. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Right on, cool. I'll do a little pregame before the pod tonight." Yeah. Travis wasn't feeling it. He didn't want a beer, so he had a soda. So I was like, "Well, I don't want to be the only alcoholic having a beer in the middle of the day. Let's." I guess I'll just have a soda too. So unfortunately, oh, you didn't do it. You I didn't, didn't do, do it. You didn't it, roll on through it. Okay. You know what sucks too is there's a spot near my house that has two New York Giant slices and a drink for eight bucks, and like oh, the soda deal is eleven, and the the slices are tiny, and it's just yeah. like, man, if I knew you weren't going to drink, I would have just I I would have said you let's go just to this gone to my joint. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it was just one of those things where I, I should have asked if he was going to have the beer, but he's such a beer person. Every time we go out, he has beer. So I just assumed yeah. it was part of the plan. It would be like you and me hanging out and not having a beer. It'd be weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. For anyway, sure, for sure. all that to say, I'm having my first beer, which is Golden Road Brewing. It is right on, uh, R-I-D-E-O-N, not right not not mm-hmm. right on, right on, right on. Not right on, right on. But ride it's a, on like the ride ACDC on. song. That's yeah. right. Um, it says Ten Hop Hazy IPA. So this is a 7.5 ABV, and this is a monster can. This is like the one I had uh, last week. It's what a is 19. it? 19er. Yeah. Yeah. So 19.3 probably. Yeah. Yeah. 7.5 from a 19.3. So this is, yeah, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good. So, yeah, yeah. Like like Scott was saying, this is my third beer of the last few hours because I had a couple with a friend. Um, I had leading up to this, I had a IPA. And then because I knew I was going to drink a third one, I went ahead and made the second beer a Coors Light, which I felt was a wise choice. You know, Coors Light sort of hydrates as you drink it. That's the beauty <laughs> yeah. of it. But, yeah, yeah. But it's also but it's also four um, percent. And uh, and so, yeah, then then amazingly after that, I really, really wanted to eat chicken. So I went and did that. Ooh. <laughs> you know how it is. You get you, you just you get whatever your cravings are. What but kind of now, Chick Fil A, baby. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, I had to. I had to. I, I was just like, I. So this is one of those dumb little things of like, I, I, for me, I want to get a little bit back to the to the good macro balance. My macro balance has been complete garbage these last few weeks, and you know how this works. Like today is the day I decided to do it, so it was very very macroy. Um, for me, like I, I'm, you know, I'm a tall guy. I get a whole lot of calories a day. So for me to get the the perfect goal of 30% uh, protein in my macros, I cannot do it. It is it is virtually impossible for me to do it. Mm. Um, and 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 actually enjoy life. 
So, uh, but but today I was up to, I think I ended up at like 25% counting this beer. And one of the reasons is because my dinner was just a few Chick-fil-A strips and some chicken soup. That was what I was feeling. So, and that's what I do, right? I'm like, ah, I can do without fries for dinner. And then I throw something else on there, you know? Yeah, there you go. If, if, they, if they offered chicken as a side, I would have had it. Uh, but they didn't. <laughs> They don't offer chicken as a side on top of chicken. So, you know, tomorrow, don't, by two days from now, I'll be back to eating In-N-Out burgers and pizza all the time, like I have been the last couple of weeks. <laughs> That's how um, it goes, man. Yeah, totally, totally. But today, oh. today was a good day. So, yeah, I drank, I am drinking another of the beers from the actual Lazy Dog Club. Um, I've had a few of them. I had one of them on the podcast. And then uh, this one is called Dark Abyss, and it is a black Kolsch style ale. Ooh. So that should be pretty fun. So I will give this a try in a second. Were you going to say something before we get to your first thing? It sounded like you had something right there. Yeah, no, I was just going to say uh, this This is all right. This beer is all right. I think last week's one was a little bit smoother. And I can't remember if that was also Golden Road. Um, there, It was like a two for seven deal at Vaughn's that I got them. And mm. um, yeah, this one's, it's not as smooth, but it's okay. Well, I'll let you know by the bottom of the cannon at the bottom of the hour. So yeah, we'll see sure. how this goes. Sure. Yeah, the first sip of this Black Kolsch was quite good. These these couple beers, this is my third one. I haven't tried the fourth one in the pack yet. Fantastic. Like, absolutely fan-goddamn-tastic. So I am super happy that I have done this. In fact, I just got an email from them today announcing announcing what their next beers are. And it was like, whoa, like one of them is like a churro cream ale or something whoa. like that. I'm like, now that sounds fucking crazy. So, yeah, how man. Mu- um, how much is this club? Because I might sign up for something like this. Yeah, man. It's uh, so it's it's uh, thirty nine bucks. Okay, and you get and you get eight beer. You get billed thirty nine bucks a quarter, and you get eight beers for that. So it works out to about okay. five a can, which is a pretty good price. Yeah, that's not bad. And you know, like like look, Lazy Dog ain't paying for advertising, but they probably should because what you also get is you get that equivalent in restaurant credit the first time. What? So I, I Rachel and I actually went to Lazy Dog, and you get that the first time only in the first quarter. You get that thirty nine dollars back as a restaurant credit. Wow, um, that's awesome. And then and then and they also give you some really dope stuff in fact i passed i forgot about it but basically once a month you get a free taster which is three eight ounce glasses so once a month you get 24 free ounces of beer if you just walk in the restaurant oh so yeah man man, that's crazy that's a great deal dude you should you should get it and then whenever we hang out we could just fucking go to lazy dog and cash in our chips yeah i got a lazy dog i think uh, about 20 minutes from me so that's that's the mission valley one right the one yeah mission valley and you know what's interesting too is your first month you didn't care for it was just like ah this is just the the in-house stuff and basically Mm -hmm. they're like yeah that's free we're gonna give you 40 bucks worth of food so that's totally yeah absolutely man so yeah yeah you're welcome lazy dog you owe me one Uh, yeah but yeah but then again, these beers are pretty goddamn great, and I'm happy to talk about them. Yeah, you've been happy with the first couple so far. That's what got me intrigued. I'm like, okay. Very, very like the good. the first yeah, month, these... I was like, oh, that sounds whack. And uh, yeah. yeah, but but all the benefits that come with it. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, well, I mean, and it was the it was the Harlan Beer Club beers that you have the like these tiny windows into, which was really it. That's what made me want to do it. And I love the idea of like special release beers. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I've always been a sucker for like the McRib when it comes out. You know, any seasonal food, these things that are limited. I love that kind of stuff. So this is right there, really, really, really good. One one iteration in, love it. Right on. So right hey, early. let's get to it. Let's let's talk some comics. Let's talk process. What was the first thing that you did this week, man? Dude, it's been Kickstarter, Kickstarter, Kickstarter. Um, 
I, as of the airing of this, the Kickstarter, I'd imagine, would be over. Um, but as of the recording of this, I have 10 days left. Uh, yeah. So for the people in the future, hey, it went great. I made all of the monies. And, yeah. uh, you know, for you guys that listen to the pod and have backed our projects, like, we greatly appreciate that. Like, you know, I always write to people when they do back the project. I let them know that I do appreciate it. And that's – it's no bullshit. I really do. Um, people – like you guys that do back our projects, it's like you're keeping us alive here. You're making it worth doing, you know, the podcast for one. Like, hey, the podcast is fun. So, you know, we'll we'll more than likely be doing this for quite some time. But, hey, that's like a great incentive for us to go. Yeah, it's, it's totally worth doing this pod every week, carving out the time, thinking of new subjects mm-hmm. to talk to you guys about and to each other about. And, um, yeah, man, so – um it's been a process. Uh, I've been doing something since talking with Andy Belanger um, over the last week or so. Like he's been giving me tips on how to do things, and one of the things that I was holding back was contacting people like directly. And this is something I recommend to you guys, and and this is what I used to do when I first started doing Kickstarters. Like if you have somewhat of a fan base, or you know, just a lot of people that follow you on social media, contact those people individually don't do group you know don't do group messages like no one likes that zero people like that and um you know contacting people one by one and eats up so much time but Mm -hmm. it really personalizes um you know the contact you know talking to people about the project and and making it feel like a project itself not just something you're springing on a whole group of people so um it's it's kind of it's fun and therapeutic in a way just kind of going through the alphabet of my Facebook friends and, and sending people messages. And then like, you know, I kind of have a body of the text that I send, but then I also like, I personalize the intros and the outros. I write something specific to the, if I know the person, you know, I try to make sure it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm making a connection with you. You know, I know Mm -hmm. you because of this reason or whatever. So, um, I'm trying my best at that kind of stuff, but yeah, it's been eating up a large portion of the week and I feel like it's paying off. Like, um, I don't exactly have a dead middle. You know, every day I'm getting one to two backers, like if not more. I think the other day I got five in on one day, like a random, you know, randomly in the middle of the project. So that was great. And it's uh, all part of that process of contacting people individually. For sure. For sure. No, that's I mean, that's cool. Um, it does. It's high, This is not one of my my points, but um, I was taking kind of astute notes when Andy was talking and, you know, I, I, I got the gist of what you were saying. So that I have already made notes to do that for my Kickstarter for animals. Number one, which is going on right now. So if you've already backed it, thank you. If not, there's still a week, um, a little bit more than a week to go, but like, yeah, I'm cause with you, you know, you, you said something interesting, which was you only do one or two, you know, two Kickstarters a year. When, when I used the opening, in Invader's schedule to do the Kadoja one, this was the reason I was a little hesitant because I just ran the Kadoja Symphony of Madness Kickstarter back in February. And now here I am about to run the Animals one in April. It's okay. They're two different books, but I do like spacing my stuff out to only have a couple books a year because odds are I'll have a Kadoja Kickstarter in about four or five months as well. 
But um, but you know what are you going to do? Like I believe in animals. This is when it's slated on the invader schedule, and uh, and I'm I did take notes, and I am going to do what you did. I'm going to reach out to people individually, just budget a few a day. You know when you yes. can be like, okay, yeah, just uh, you know a few a day, and then go from there. And the other thing is, that I took notes, mental notes from Andy on was the idea of having a plan for every day. So mm-hmm. I've actually been working on that plan for every day. I don't quite have something for every single day, but I'm close. And uh, I still have a few days to think about that and to fill out that plan so that at minimum, every day I can wake up and say, this is the one thing I want to do where I feel like this is helping the Kickstarter. And then you just do other stuff. You know, you've, you've done your work. You've, you've done your thing you need to do for the Kickstarter. And then you go from there. Yeah, um, I've I've started that process as well, and I guess that was kind of my second thing because really the Kickstarter is consuming my every day. Um, but you know, like you said, you, you the two Kickstarters you're doing they're going to be relatively close together. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, even if you did three in a year, honestly, it's not asking too much. If people are into your products, they're into your books. So that's a grand total of what, 30 bucks a year or something like that, Mm -hmm. 30 to 40 bucks a year that, you know, people are picking up books from you. And if they're comic book fans, they're used to paying that now, you know, for corporate comics, they're paying five to $6 cover price. So for indie book, you're asking eight. It's just, it's really not that far, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's far of a stretch. It's like, okay, that's, that's reasonable. Uh, even to the point where I had a buddy back my project because he goes eight bucks for a physical copy and a PDF. He goes, dude, that's a steal. I, no problem. I'm backing that right now. And I yeah. think it's also in reaction to another buddy who ran a Kickstarter and his tears were bonkers cuckoo bananas, but mm-hmm. He had the fan base and it was okay. And I think that's something you and I have talked about in the past about Kickstarters, people starting to ask for what seems to be too much money, in my opinion, for certain things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get to my first thing. I have two things this week, which I think is going to jive pretty well with what you have from from what I just got from you there from your vibes right so the first thing I want to talk about is and again when I when I I'm trying to not only talk about creative things I did, but creative things that can make good podcast content, right? Something to talk about. And so the the couple things I have this week, I think are, you know, I think they're interesting. Um, The first thing is that in novel number two, I wrote to the first act turning point, which was pretty cool, right? So we, we go back to our, our good old three act structure, which we have done a specific episode of a podcast on, and we've talked about much more often than that. You know, you have Act 1, the turning point of Act 1, which goes into Act 2, the turning point of Act 2, which goes into Act 3. And and generally, you know, that's that's your three-act structure. So yeah, I got to the point um, at the end of Act 1 where shit elevates, right? And um, and so it was cool. It was cool to get there. But what, real quick, yeah. give give the audience the recap on what those those parts are. However, oh yeah, sure. So the 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 super quick version is um, the the, I mean, beginning, middle, and end is the reductive way to say it. But Act One is basically the introduction of the characters, the setting, the 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 general big want of the character, and the general big conflict. All of those things should come out in act one the turning point of act one is where something happens that changes the trajectory of the story 
an important thing happens, whatever it is. Character A falls in love. Character A, you know, fucking gets kidnapped by the Sith. Character A, (laughs) you know, uh, magically spawns a garden from their speaker. Character A, whatever it is, right? Like, that's the thing that that changes how the lead and how everybody else, but generally the lead is going to go through your story. Act two is the complication. And so those are when you're going to have a lot of other things happen. Now that the, now that this thing has happened, other things are going to fall from that. It's going to be about solving a mystery or going on a quest or making a trip, going on a journey, getting back to the rebels. Cause the Sith kidnapped you you know, figuring out what to do with all these great flowers that grew out of your speaker box, whatever it is, right? And then the turning point of Act 2 is generally the thing that's going to propel you forward to the climax now, which is Act 3. And then technically at the end of Act 3, there's the tiny little bit, which is the denouement, right? So um, that's that's the super, super quick high-level version of it. So I got to the point where I wrote the turning point at the end of Act 1. And that was cool enough, right? Because that was the thing I knew I was writing to. But then a fun thing happened. A fun thing happened. Right after that turning point, one of the lead characters wanted to do something. And what was cool was it wasn't something I anticipated. You know, we we talk about this a lot, and it's it's definitely like a writery thing that people who are early on in, in writing say, come on, man, the characters really did that instead of you. They do. They do. Because if you've done a good job creating a character that feels like they stand up on their own, then at some point they're going to take over the decision making for you. And that's an important thing to to kind of delineate, right? Like you're God author and you want things to happen, but you also want the characters to run around and make autonomous decisions that drive what you want forward. It's very easy to put, you know, God author hand heavy on things and make those things happen. And we have talked about that in the past, you know. So what I thought was super cool was I hadn't anticipated the character wanting to do this thing, but it totally makes sense for the character to want to do this thing. So that then drove us somewhere else. It ended up being kind of a minor detour from the major structure of the plot. But the important part of the lesson there is while my lead needs a whole lot of work, it's only a first draft. I was pleased at least, at least that the the lead character is already standing up and and dictating to me some of the directions that this story is going to go. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different take on how you normally work. You know, you're about the structure and where the story's going specifically and and so yeah, for you to have a nice grasp on this character already and letting that character dictate what they're doing in this certain scene. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. Again, I'm, I'm excited. And this novel, like we've talked about, as you just hinted is, is a novel that I'm discovering as I write. Um, I actually, I just got through, you know, another thing that Andy did was remind me to get back into the Neil Gaiman masterclass mm. and, uh, and, 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 and ones that will follow that. And Neil Gaiman talks about character. And the first thing that comes to character for him is how they talk, the way they phrase, etc. Um, that's not the first thing that comes to me. Um, and he said it, different things can come to you about what the character is, what they look like, you know, uh, et cetera. For me, in a weird way, the first thing that's coming to me about these characters is more like their their large want, their small want, what they're about, 
just kind of the way they go through life, that comes to me easier than doing a speech pattern or having the way they talk, etc. And for me, that's something that I'm just saving for future passes. You know, I will I will dial into the way they talk in future passes, but for now, I'm good with this, them just kind of speaking what the plot needs, and then I'll go from there and then figure it out and put some, you know, way they speak mannerisms in there. Again, there's no wrong way to do this, and there's a hundred right ways to do it, if not more. But uh, but yeah, again, at least I was happy that my character is on this trajectory of, you know, understanding for me where it's standing up and making his own decisions. Very cool. Yeah, you know... Um talking to Andy last week about you know him being a writer artist and it's interesting because when we first started that part of the conversation I was like this goes against my general rule how I feel about artists writing their own stuff and it's not and it's not a everyone thing you know like Andy is taking it serious he's taking classes he's taking you know these master classes and it's just like yeah those those aren't the artists that I'm talking about. You know, that's he, oh, he, sure. he's doing it right. You know what I mean? He's actually putting an effort in to studying not only his art craft, but his writing craft. And there are a bunch of writer artists out there that are not doing the same thing. You know, it's right. It's like you need to put as much effort into your writing studying that you do in your art studying. So the fact that he's doing both, it's like, yeah, you're you're in your own class and you're one of the artists that I'm not talking about. It's those artists that are, Absolutely. you know, first starting out, just doing your own thing, trying to figure out comics. You might not necessarily be the best writer for this, or that might actually be your strength. And and that's a story you hear once in a while uh, when you hear about professional writers. Like that's that's a common thread that I have found with professional writers is a lot of them want to be comic book artists. And then they discovered, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not good enough to be a comic artist. Then they become, but their writing chops were stronger than their their artist chops. And like that was Mm -hmm. a lot of the critiques they were getting back. And so that's just interesting in itself. So, you know, the generalization, I'm not saying don't try it. If you feel like you're a good enough writer, you paid attention in English class, you're you're really good at creative writing, then I'm not talking about you. It's those, those ones that are doing the writing side as an afterthought. And that's what I was doing yeah. um, when I first started drawing my books, you know, in my early 20s. It was like, OK, I can I can figure this out. And like I would draw it and then I would just kind of make the dialogue up. But all those nuances back then I wasn't thinking about, you know, like you were saying, having different like a writing style or, or like dialect, uh, like the way that the characters speak. Like I wasn't thinking about any of that. You know, it was just they all sound the same. Mm-hmm. The scenarios were stupid and blah, blah, blah. So, um Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think that's, look, that 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 in itself is showing that you're willing to take some ego and check it at the door, right? It's, it's important to have some degree of ego. It's also important to check some degree of ego at the door. And so I would imagine that there may be some artists listening to this right now where they're like, is that me? Because that's what we all think. Yes. When you hear something, things always, if, if you're self-critical, which you should be, then odds are you're going to hear some things that sort of drift into your atmosphere and you'd be like, oh shit, are they talking about me? And the thing that I would say is there's only one way to find out. If you're an artist that's taking on writing, you check that ego and you give it to a writer and you see what they say. And the beauty of that is it will it will sort itself out. If your writing needs work, they're going to tell you. If your writing is good, they will also tell you that. 
And if your writing is close, then what they will do is they'll give you some notes back and that'll be the most important learning tool because you will then get a read on how much of your innate sensibilities are, how many of those are good and how many of those need a little work. And it gives, it shines a spotlight on the things that you may need to work on. Yeah. And if you are out there and listening to this and you're like, he's not talking about me. Guess what? I'm talking about you. (laughs) <laughs> because those are the that's a great those point. are the people th- that are blind to that they need yeah. help they need to check some of that ego at the door so if you heard that and you're like mm-hmm. he's not talking about me i'm i'm 100 percent talking to you it's you you, right. you need to have th- have some of that ego checked and do exactly what keith just said hand it off to a writer and see how many yeah. notes they give back and guess what if they come back with i got no notes well then you're awesome you're you're that one yeah. percent that was right that your your writing was good enough but a large yeah. uh, a large majority of you it's going to need some work and then you can be like you cram it in your pie hole scott <laughs> what the fuck do you know you piece of shit yeah yeah but i mean in fairness though if if you are if you also answer this as they're not talking about me i've gotten workshop by this 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 and this well then we're not talking about right. you you've done the work already yeah exactly right? like, and we... that's the thing right it, it's it's about it's about again checking that that part of your ego and letting other people read it and being ready for actual feedback and not hoping that they just say they love everything. Yeah. And I established anyway, that at the your... beginning of that. It was like, look, if you're if yeah, you're taking totally. the writing classes, if you're taking you're doing this, you're doing that, I'm not talking about you. So, um fair enough. How many, Three beers, baby. How many thi- yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh how many things you got? Just one more. Okay. Um I guess I'll do a combination. I guess I should just threw this on the front of that other one. Um, I was remembering stuff as we were speaking. So just to piggyback off of the Kickstarter stuff and something you had brought up, I did start doing the uh, one thing a day that Andy had talked about. But I found that for me and how I like to interact with Kickstarters, his his advice to me was post at least four times a, way, uh, a week in the updates. Do at least mm-hmm. four updates a week. For me, I, as a backer of projects, I'm a super backer. I would hate that. I would hate to have yeah. my inbox flooded all the time with updates. And a large majority of the time, I do not check those updates. Unless the title says yep. something intriguing enough to me to go like, oh, okay, I need to pay attention to what this is. Like PDFs. It's like, okay, I need yeah. to know when you're sending me the PDF or if this is the PDF. Yes. Um. So I've decided that I will be doing two updates a week and I only have 10 days left. So it's not that, not that much time. I might do three in that period. Um, but I feel like four is a bit too much for, for my personal preference. And I Mm -hmm. think, I think part of that is grooming the audience to how you run Kickstarters and like, Hey, this is, this is a project and we're doing it together. But I also don't want to be overbearing on people And I, you know, it's just, that's how I run Kickstarters. But I do realize just with his advice that I do need to update more. I do need to give more information to people. I I think people do want some information. And I started doing doing that. And one of the things that I did was an add-on of a Virgin variant cover. So Ryan Benjamin um, did a cover for me. And I, when I was speaking to him about it, I had actually given him a Brett Booth Virgin variant from issue eight. And he goes, I really like this. He goes, are you going to do something like this with my cover? And I didn't, but I was just like, 
yeah, I do want to have a virgin variant for you. Of course I am. Yes, but I didn't want it to be the main thing. Like, it has to have the logo treatment and everything. And plus, like, when you have a famous artist do a cover for you, what you want is to have name recognition on your book with that person's art. So Mm -hmm. if all I had of his was a Virgin variant, then if I gave him some um, artist copies, you know, for for, to personal sell or, or keep or whatever he wanted to do with them, hand them out. It's like when he hands them out, it has to have the logo on it because I want people to go, hey, what series is this? I've never heard of this series. Then they look further into it. They want to buy the rest of the series. So um, but as a special treat to my backers that have already backed the project, I sent an update saying, hey, in the add on section, I added a virgin variant of Ryan Benjamin's cover. There is five. I am printing Mm. five of them. That Mm -hmm. is it. Yeah. So if you want it, you guys have first dibs. I will leave this here in the update and I will not put it to social media until tonight. So mm-hmm. I think I had it in the um, uh, just in the update for the backers as an add on. It's only an add on. It's not a tier. And I left it there for three to four hours for whoever want, wants it to get it. And two of the backers did. So there's nice. as of this recording, there's only three of them left. And cool. so, so then after that, that's when I went to social media and like, hey, if you guys haven't backed a project yet, this is how you get this cover if you want it. And that was kind of part of Andy's message to me was, hey, do stuff throughout and let people know like, hey, here's some extra stuff going on. This, If you want this, this is here. You have to dictate how to work things with with your backers you have to navigate them and kind of instruct them where to find the stuff because some people are so uh daft when it comes to this stuff it's just like Mm -hmm. what where is it i don't understand you know i have a buddy that backs all of my stuff and i tried to explain to him where it was and it took a little bit you know Mm so you really got to handhold sometimes in order to uh get that stuff into people's hands and that's okay and uh you know it's all about training the audience on how you run your book your kickstarters that all makes sense. I mean, everybody's smart. It's just that we have mental blocks sometimes. God knows mm-hmm. I do it. Like if I yeah. do, if I do things like filling out, you know, taxes for a show, it's like, where is this? Oh, God damn it. Where is it? You know, like now you're not in the best frame of mind when you're filing tax forms, but, right. um, you know, sales tax receipts, but and, and people in a Kickstarter are in a better mood, but still it can it can be tricky sometimes. And so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, your move of patience is, is the wise one. All right, so let's get to my second thing. And my second thing is, um, you know, because Andy was such an awesome guest last week, we didn't really talk about a whole lot of stuff on on our own. And so for me, I think this is really more of like over the last two weeks, I not only... um, I got I got not only the first thumbnails back from Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three, I also now have the inks in my hand. Um, oh I'm wow! Still, I'm still waiting for tones. Hey, Tony, Tony works fast, and the the cool thing about Tony is he's a huge communicator with like are you ready to go at this time are you ready to go at this time and i believe what he's doing is he is just carving out x amount of time for you as agreed upon so that he can continue to stack projects there so when he you know when i'm sending him a script he is ready for it and so he was cranking through it and so the first thing is that i sent the script to him which i think is where we left off last time or i just finished the script and it was awesome to get Mm -hmm. that yeah, it was get it was great to get that feedback from him because he said, I cannot wait to draw this. Lots of action. It's gonna be really fun. Cool. I've done my job. 
I want you to have a good time drawing this. I want you to be excited for it. And uh, in the in the first batch of thumbnails and pages, I'm like, yeah, I can I can kind of feel the excitement here. He's he's doing some cool shit. Um, so that was kind of like sub thing number one. Um, the sub what, thing, yeah, go ahead. What? Uh, how many pages did he get through? Seven. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's fast, dude. Yeah, yeah. We we break it up in chunks of seven. Um, so yeah, that's that's more about my payment schedule than his production schedule, right? That that I like doing that and just kind of letting it breathe and all that kind of thing. So what I want to talk about a little bit more in detail, kind of like the second sub thing, is that I I apologize if I mentioned this last time, but in the notes that Mike gave me from issue number three, one of the things he talked about, and I don't know if I, maybe I didn't get into this level of detail because it doesn't sound familiar as I say it. There was a scene where a character, a bunch of things happen and we sort of get a pan back and then we get a reveal and then a character says something dramatic. Mike's note for that little two page sequence is that when you get to the final panel, what if you cut all the dialogue? What if you cut the dialogue in that final panel and instead of the character saying something dramatic, you simply keep it as a silent panel which will make it way more powerful. The second I got that note, I was like, that's a badass note. I am going to cut this. So I cut it. Then I gave it to Tony. I get it back. God damn it. If that's not the coolest page out of the seven he did. And it's not a particularly action filled page. It's got talking and a big and sort of a semi big, if you want to call it that reveal going on. And now that I see the page and I know that no words are going in the final panel. Fuck. It's great. It is by far my favorite panel of the youngly drawn issue, but uh, it was cool, you know, and, and it was a cool synthesis. It was it was neat to get quick feedback like that. It just so happened that it was on page two of the book, right? He Mike could have given me the same note about page 19, and I wouldn't have even come to page 19 until two or three months from now. But because it was on page two, I got the page no more than like two weeks after I got the note and changed the note. And it was cool to have that like almost instant gratification of like, my God, this was such the right call. So yeah, yeah man, it was, it was neat. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I'll get stuff like that from Joaquin, um, where I'll draw something and I'm like, this is, this is a really cool panel. I really like the way I drew it. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm curious how he's going to color this. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's that same thing where you have this idea and you execute it on your end and then you're waiting for the other half to show up and it's just as awesome as you pictured it in your head. And yeah. like there was um this is from like Second Shift 5 where um one of the characters is battling the villain and he gets a bone snapped in his form. And it's one of those images where it's like it punctures through the skin, but he's wearing a costume. So you kind of see the bone through the costume. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, this was this is great. This is, you know, early on in my drawing career. So I'm like, this is exactly how I pictured it. And then when I got Joaquin's colors back, it was this stark white background that he did to it Mm -hmm. and it made it silent. Like uh-huh. you, you could almost feel like the um, 
white noise. Kind of like that ringing noise. It's like the silent, but with like a bit of a ringing noise. Like you're yeah, in sure. so much pain, right? Like it's like yeah. when you stub your toe for an instant, everything's quiet and you just feel this ringing, right? And mm-hmm. so the way he colored it with a stark white background and almost a glow effect behind it, it was like, that's it. That's yeah. that's how it should look, and it really punches home what's happening in the panel. So yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, like what you're talking about with the silence. It's like oh fuck, it's about to go down, or you know yeah. like, w- that that feeling that you get. It is it is a it is a mean moment in the comic, and it's triply mean by simply letting the art speak for itself. So yeah, really really fun stuff, uh, and and such a great feedback loop to see the note come into play like that um but that's what it was the feedback it's like a feedback loop that you're getting yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so hey we uh i think that's that's sort of the crux of what we did this week so yeah um i just one small thing i actually got a little bit of work done on paradise hills i was like you know what i haven't drawn in a week and a half uh to two weeks and for me that's a very very long time and uh, so I was like, I got to do something. I have to draw. So I had roughed a couple of pages out and I started filling in details and doing some line work, um, like ink work. And uh, yeah, a couple of the characters are drawn. And so I'm happy about that, that it had some movement at least. But I just know uh, personally, I can't move on from Second Shift 13 until this thing's completely done. And, you know, all the crap I talked about prior to this i I still have stuff to do um Mm -hmm. but it was nice to get some drawing done and and uh, i need to get back into the swing of things it's just it's it's tough sometimes like when you're just so focused on other things yeah especially kickstarters which can be real energy drains right like just it it's a lot of work it's a lot of it, it takes a lot out of you and that's okay right like you're here to to try to spread the love on your book and talk to people and make sure that make sure that the you know the the hardest thing about a kickstarter i think is making sure that the people who know you like you and have bought books in the past simply know about the kickstarter that's that's the biggest you know getting new fans is hard but in today's day and age of like limited algorithms where, you know, you, you get a bunch of followers and then these social media services limit those followers unless you pay them to actually open the channel up to all of your followers. Like the hardest thing can be simply making sure that people know it exists. Yep. So yeah, man, it, it can be a lot of work that, you know, it's surprising how many people I contacted in, individually that are from the comics world that go, dude, I didn't even know you had one running. Yeah. And it's just, it's that algorithm that Facebook has that prevents people from seeing your shit. And just yeah. like, even if you're following following so many people, you only have so many people that can fit into your feed. So right. there's a whole audience out there that doesn't know you're having a, a Kickstarter, you're having a project, an Indiegogo, whatever it is. And um, contacting these people individually definitely does help. And it lets them know, hey, this is going on. I don't know if you're even aware and a mm-hmm. lot of them aren't, and it's 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 good that you reach out individually for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so hey, let's get to our main topic. Our main topic, we're going to see where this goes. I believe we've touched on this subject in different ways before, but this is the, the place in the river that we both are right now, so I'm just going to set this off with what prompted this. It's called Making the Wrong Ideas Right. And so we sit here recording this in late April of 2023. And when I had this idea a few weeks ago, I realized at the time that in the first quarter of of the year, I 
musically have gone through two incredibly distinct phases. I had a huge Miles Davis phase, roughly in January and February. Huge. Like, nonstop listening to Miles Davis. Buying Miles Davis records, which I have shared with listeners of the podcast, etc. And then starting sometime around March loosely, came the MF Doom phase. And I still love MF Doom, but I think that that psychosis that I had is in fact waning a little bit right now, but it was the same thing. I bought MF Doom records. I listened to tons of shit. And and like you said, Scott, I think one of the things that really spurred that on was our retreat where I wanted to listen to hip hop, threw on some hip hop playlists, found one thing. It led to more things. It led to MF Doom. And there I was. So an interesting thing about both Miles Davis and MF Doom is I think they are You know, a couple of the most interesting, creative, talented musicians of their genre ever. Miles Davis doesn't really need an introduction. You know, the guy reinvented jazz multiple times and set the direction of jazz multiple times. MF Doom, I think MF Doom is the kind of person where to people who are diehards of MF Doom, they're nodding right now. They're like, Keith, of course you're right. MF Doom is avant-garde and brilliant and one of the best lyricists of all time. Um, But he doesn't quite have the curbside appeal that, say, Jimi Hendrix or Miles Davis or Prince have because they're just so good and so popular. There's a song by MF Doom that stuck in my head the second I heard it. Because remember, I'm discovering a lot of MF Doom, or at least did back in March. And it was a song called, when it first came on, it blew my mind. And I want to read a lyric from it. More Ryman, Pure Diamond, Tor Hyman, Poor Timon, Raw Lineman, Paul Simon Touring. When I first heard Paul Simon Touring, I lost my shit. I just rewound it. And then I was like, did he just fucking say Paul Simon Touring to make that work? And I heard it. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And I happened to pick up, was picking up Eden at the time. Eden gets in the car. I'm like, Eden, you got to check out this fucking line, right? And then I play it. And she was like, what was that? I was like, yeah, hear it again. And then I was like, he said Paul Simon touring to make that work. And maybe, maybe I'm overblowing this. But like to me, as someone who has written hundreds of rap songs, I was blown away by the lyricism there. The interesting thing to me is that when you write those out on a piece of paper, it looks a bit stupid. It may have even sounded a bit stupid to you when I said it. But what's interesting to me about both MF Doom's lyrics there, he actually has another line in the song that I want to bring up where he says, I believe he he talked to himself when he wanted someone to hate on. The black campaign McCain negative debate-a-thon. Okay? The black McCain campaign negative debate-a-thon. <laughs> That's great. Who the, who the fuck thinks of that shit, right? Like, that is that is mastery, if not mastery, bordering on boredom of craft, right? And so that made me realize that Miles Davis's electric phase has a lot in common with, common with that. Because I could put on Miles Davis's on the corner for some people right now. And they would say, boy, that kind of sounds like a kid picking up an instrument for the first time. And I don't think you're entirely wrong. But the thing is, these are all musicians on Miles Davis's LPs that are at the peak of their goddamn powers. They are all masters of what they do. And so that, that for me, informed this idea of like making the wrong ideas right. You know, that like you have these people that are masters of the craft 
And the journey that you seem to travel when you get to Master of the Craft is, at some point, you can pursue shit that seems so easy that absolutely anyone can do it. But you couldn't be further from the truth. You know, uh, um, just hearing that reminds me of putting in the comic context is Frank Miller, Mm -hmm. where you see his stuff on Daredevil, and then, you know, you go to The Dark Knight, and then you go to Sin City, and then you go to Dark Knight um, Strikes Again, Mm -hmm. and then you go to DK3. Yeah. And... It's almost like it reminds me of that where, Mm -hmm. you know, you you reach the mastery of what you're trying to accomplish. And for me, for Frank Miller, that's Sin City, like his his art style. It's just like, yeah, his stuff's always been really good. And then you get to Sin City and it's this evolution of his style going from so many lines to minimal lines Mm -hmm. and then you get to this place where the thing that triggered this was it almost sounds like a kid picking up an instrument for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you look at Frank's last work, his latest work, and there's a simplicity to it, almost an ugliness to it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, he went too far. This is where yeah. he went too far. But it's just them exploring what they can do and like get away with it almost. It's just like, mm-hmm. it just it's this different level you know, it's just like the Sin City stuff. It's like, that's the peak. Like, if anyone could get better than this, you let me know. And like, because he's removed so many lines from the art, but using the negative space and, and everything like that, it still works. And it's it's a mastery. And mm-hmm. then you just take this step further and it's like, okay, have have we gone too far? And to me, I can still see the beauty in it. I'm like, I mm-hmm. see what he's doing. It's different. And it's way different than what I like out of his stuff, but there's still something to it that you can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think the inevitable question we have to walk back to, which may be one of the harder questions I think I've ever answered on the podcast is, well, how do I do that? How do I make the wrong ideas right? And the answer is, man, a whole lot of work, you know, a whole lot yeah. of work. But, but I think I think to kind of borrow something, Scott, that you've talked about, when you go back to when you revisit your first five issues of the second shift, when I revisit some of my earlier music or when I revisit my first five issues of Kadoja, do you have to be a virtuoso to pull off making the wrong ideas right? No, you don't. You don't. A way around it is for for you to do a lot of work right? Or at least a fair amount of work. And then let's say you're at this point where you feel pretty knowledgeable and you may even be at a spot where, you know, ideas aren't coming to you as easy as they used to be. And then you go back and you review those early things you did and you realize that you had this ton of wrong energy. That's what you've said. You know, you did these wrong things in the first volume of Second Shift, if not the first issue, and you liked it because you didn't know what you were doing and that was part of the charm of it. So this is where that marriage can get harder because now you do know what you're doing and you need to marry the person who knows what they're doing with the person who had no idea what they're doing and somehow make that better. It's so funny that you bring that up because I went into SoCal Comics today to pick up my weekly pools and just check around the shop, see what I needed. Uh, Funny enough, it was a slow week. 
So I grabbed another copy of Lone Wolf and Cub, which mm-hmm. is uh, Ed. Ed hooked me up. He had a bunch of doubles from his series. He, for whatever reason, he picked up two, just the collector's mentality. And he realized, hey, I don't need these. And I was like, hey, can I have those? And he goes, fuck you. But yeah, you can have them. <laughs> and um, so I grabbed another issue. And while I was on that side of it, I had started talking to one of the workers there who's also a, a pretty talented comic book artist, uh, uh, Mikey Cosson. And uh, so we were getting in this conversation, and, and he was talking about Scott McCloud's How to Make Comics. And he said after reading it, it almost crippled him mm-hmm. from drawing because whatever he was doing, he couldn't get out of the headspace on the stuff that he read. And to him, all of the stuff he was drawing, it didn't work anymore. He didn't like it. And mm-hmm. um, he... <laughs> You know, he had been working in a comic book store at the time and some a mom came in asking about, you know, hey, what can my son read to uh, learn how to make comics? And and uh, someone had mentioned that book and he goes, don't read it. Don't read it. Just just tell him it's OK. Learn on your own. Find other artists. Learn from other artists. Study like painting and stuff like that. But don't read that book. You know, like for him mentally, it screwed him up. It set him back because mm-hmm it put him in this box that he didn't know how to get out of. And yeah. he said it took him quite some time to get out of it. And I I was like, you know, that's so funny because I was wrestling for 10 years. I had stopped drawing for 10 years while I was wrestling. And then issue one of second shift is literally me stopping wrestling and coming back to art. Mm-hmm. And there's so much stuff in the first issue that I dislike, but there's so many things in the first issue that I like because I didn't know the rules yet. And then yeah. when you know when you know the rules, it does put you in a box, and that's what happened to Mikey, and that's what happened to me for a couple of issues in Second Shift because I was learning all the rules after the first issue, and I was like, oh man, I, I was doing this, I was doing that, and there was risks I wasn't taking anymore because I learned the quote unquote rules. Mm-hmm. And hey, if you're a fan of this podcast, you've been listening since the inception, you know that I personally have somewhat of an issue with quote unquote the rules Mm -hmm. because the people that wrote the rules were the artists that came before us the creators that came before us and what the rules are are guidelines to what they found out works Mm -hmm. and so what everyone is doing by following the rules and only the rules you're staying within these previous creators guidelines as to what worked so you're not exploring things that could potentially work that are not in the rule so they would be the wrong way to do things and so yeah. it's just like at the end of the day this is art and how can you confine uh, how can you confine art how can you determine what is art and how you should do art and um rules isn't part of art so for me it's like yes understand what they're saying and why you're doing these things but it doesn't have to confine you into this space. Don't don't let them limit you and put you in a box. As they say, think outside the box. And that's how creating should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, boy, there's a lot of ways I can go with that. But I think, you know, thinking outside the box is the kind of thing someone says once they've learned enough rules to put themselves in a box. Because when yes. you start, you don't even know there's a fucking box. You're just doing shit, right? And I think, I, I love that that was the SoCal Comics guys. Sounds like Mikey. Sounds like it was um, it was his suggestion to like, don't read anything, right? And, and, you know, because I think in musical terms, you know, it's his equivalent of basically telling like, my son just bought a guitar. What should you do? Riff the fuck out. 
That's what he should do, <laughs> right? Because when I first bought a guitar, what did I do? I riffed the fuck out. And then you start to learn some things and you, you get constrained or, you know, you learn and you get smart. But then at some point you wonder, is like the learning constraining me? And uh, that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Like, you know, you, you walk along the path and then at some point you may need to just remind yourself, riff the fuck out. Go for it. Right. And and try to get that whole there's a writer I talked to. Um, there was a writer who talked to my novel class one time and she is a she was on the she had just signed a book deal for her first novel, which has gone on to be wildly successful, wildly. Mm. And um, and she talked about how she was at a point in her novel where she just felt sort of constrained and and what was her way out of that she she conjured up her quote unquote lizard brain because she had a background in poetry and it was very unhinged and so what she did was she did her best to kind of conjure up that little bit of of unhingedness that could make the story come alive and that's what worked for her and you know it worked for her well enough to get an agent a publisher and and a, and a killer book deal and then has since sold a, an insane amount of copies of her debut novel so yeah man i mean we again this is one of those cases like we could talk more um you know the the idea of pushing the craft do what you can to do it right i mean at 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 this point in time as you're listening to this you know more than you're ever going to know and if you listen to this again a week from now, you're going to know more than you ever knew then because you're going to learn a little bit more in that week. Um, and the key is to just do what you can, you know, make sure that you're keeping yourself balanced, especially if you're in a rut and take some of those wrong ideas, because if you're good enough, you're going to make every single wrong idea right. You can, you can do anything. You can do anything as long as you can figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, I got nothing left to say. That's the word that's right in that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. So, hey, man, you got any bullshit? Dude, I've, uh, so I've been stalking eBay for certain books, which I will not mention because I am hunting them. And, uh, last time I mentioned something I'm hunting on this podcast, they increased in value. So, you fuckers all bought Golden Age Daredevil. I know. He's calling you out. It's just like, I gotta, oh, I gotta really fight for those things these days. Um, so yeah, I'm hunting a different title and, uh, it's not going well. And unfortunately, one of the things you had we had talked about uh, as far as the bubble that was COVID and collecting, where it's kind of coming back down to earth, this title that I'm trying to hunt has not come back down to earth as much yeah. as I had hoped. I'm right. picking up a couple of issues here and there, but they're still a little bit out of bounds for what I want to spend. So you and I talked about it off the air. I'm sticking to 35 bucks and under. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything has been well over that. So it's just like, okay, well, uh, maybe I'll just hunt different numbers of these until, yeah. until these come down further. And if they just never come down, then they never do. And, and I'm kind of okay with that. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's just one of those things where uh, it's, it's not there for me yet, um, as it is for you who have been cleaning up um, on the things that you're hunting. Oh, there it is. There what? it is. Well, I was going to say, though, so what, what, when Scott said that, I actually placed the three Fantastic Four issues that have that have come in over the last week or so. Don't worry, I'll make them closer to the okay, camera. Good. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that too because ever since that that revelation, I mean, the bubble is correcting itself, but the title you're collecting 
and Fantastic Four, there is there is degree of there is a degree of immunity to the bubble there. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the things that are like like milestone comics, milestone stone first gen comics rocketed in price through the pandemic. And while I haven't checked them in a while, I would expect that those are the kind of comics where people may have speculated on it and now that's grown impatient. You know, Green Arrow 85. That was a comic that went way the fuck up during the pandemic. And I just got it, you know, a month, two months ago for what was an incredibly low price. Um, but yeah, the few that I mean, I've been I've been just kind of picking Scott. I've been doing the you know same thing. I mean, what I would say to you for the book you're looking for. Man, keep all those saved searches up because you just never know when some crazy ass low true. price is going to come through. And that's mm-hmm. that's what this has been, you know. So for me, yeah. What's the first one here? Fantastic Four number 60. So that one was a, a nice comic that came into the low... Or sorry, that's 58. 58. And then this is Fantastic Four number 60. It's kind of gross. This is the one that I got for less than 10 bucks. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, hey, it's got a lot of character to it. I'm pretty sure that, like, beige yellow is not the designed color of this cover, which gives you an <laughs> idea of the condition it's in. It's like... I, I, I kind of like, like those, tan. dude. It is like yeah. tan, you know? I kind of like them. Like, it's just like you said, it gives them character, and it, like... I don't know. It makes him feel hella vintage. Yeah, this motherfucker has a lot of character. I'll tell you that. And then, uh, and then this one actually showed up, and I opened it just before the podcast. So, Fantastic Four number eighty-four. Oh, I which like is that a, one. I mean, a stupid dope cover of Doctor Doom, yeah, right? Like, like the oversized Doctor Doom kind of, you know lurking over the castles in Latveria like a kaiju as the Fantastic Four runs away. So really, really cool shit there. And, and you know, I still, I have saved um, auctions up in a lot of cases, but nothing, nothing is there yet. That doesn't mean something won't pop up tomorrow. So we'll see. But at the moment, I don't have my eye on anything, although I do have some saved searches and we'll see if anything pops up, if anything just jumps on and it's like oh that's actually a pretty good price i'll keep an eye on this you know yeah definitely. um yeah yeah okay so i have a few more things i want to talk about uh speaking of miles davis i feel like i need to curse him just a little bit because as we record this we are a few days shy of record store day so scott i'm on my own this weekend i'm actually taking eden and rachel to the airport for a tournament and so i've got like the weekend to I, I have a creative goal that I'm going to do that hopefully I will talk about next week when we record because I've done it. I'm setting an ambitious little mini creative goal for myself this weekend, but um, but on Saturday it is Record Store Day, and whenever so Record Store Day, it's a day to celebrate record stores. But what it really is is a day where record companies make 500 brand new records. A lot of them are represses that are just like super collectible and people line up around the corner, blah, blah, blah. I don't what, like what day line- is this. Uh, it's actually Saturday, April 22nd. Yeah. I don't oh, mind okay, dating cool. it. Cause we record in a little bit advance. Everybody knows that. So yeah. Um, so I, and what they do is they release the list of records on record store day about two months in advance. So you can start thinking about it and every, uh, it, it happens twice a year, but the big one, the big ones in April and then a smaller one happens on black Friday. Whenever that list comes out, I always sort of grit my teeth and I read it and I'm like, please, please don't let there be something on here that I want. And then I got to the fucking Miles Davis and it was like, son of a bitch, I got to go to Record Store Day to buy this. It is more outtakes from the on the corner sessions. 
Oh, cool. I think I think I mentioned that, you know, he basically released a whole lot of records after Bitches Brewing on the Corner that were outtakes from Bitches Brewing on the Corner, but not yeah, all of like them hour made their way to vinyl. jam sessions, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. So goddamn it if they didn't make a few more of those things available and now I need to go to record store day. So that's my Saturday. The good news is my local record shop, which is Rhino Records in um I think it's Upland. They used to be in Claremont, so I always I can't remember where they moved to. They moved about three miles over. I think it's Upland. Um, Spearmint Rhino Records? Not, no. <laughs> That's a different thing. That's a different thing. Not not records, not records, but still a good time, Scott. <laughs> It'll spin your record, for sure. <laughs> um, so Rhino Records did something really cool. And that is uh, last Saturday, a week before Record Store Day, they opened up tickets, free tickets at 9 a.m., for you to reserve a time slot between 10 and 11 before the store opens. Oh, right on. So you go online and it's like getting tickets on Ticketmaster, right? Like you hope that you get a slot. And fucking the first time I do it, I hit I hit click. I get the 10 o'clock slot because they have a 10, a 10, 15, a 10, 30, and a 10, 45. And then if you don't get any of those, you just got to wait in line for when the store opens at 11. I'm in the 10 o'clock queue. I'm ready to check out. And it says, we don't recognize this device. We're going to send you a code. Because that's what everybody does, right? And I'm like, I'm going to lose my fucking place in line. I get the code. I enter the code. I hit click again. They're like, sorry, that's sold out. Because I had to wait for the goddamn code. So then I, I frantically go back in and I click on the 1030. And that one goes through. So the good news oh, right is... On. I got a 1030 slot and I have since done some research. There's a couple other records that I'm interested in getting there um, and that I will get probably Saturday when I go into record store day. But more importantly, I, I assuming they get the Miles Davis because, you know, you never know what your local record store gets. Like they sort of get what they get. But the Miles Davis one has a pretty high print run as far as record, stay, uh, record store day things go. So hopefully, fingers crossed, I get that Miles Davis and maybe a few others. So, right yeah. On. Yeah, yeah, that was that was good. But like, God damn it. You know, like I, I it's like you that list comes out and it's like, son of a bitch. There's the one I absolutely have to have. No questions asked. I mean, it's it, it was my my goddamn crave of January and February to track down these sessions. And now they went ahead and announced another one, you know, and if you know, that's the way this works. If I don't get it now, it's going to double in price, you know. Um, so, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I got to get it before the flippers get to it. Dude, oh man, that <laughs> that reminds me of something that just happened today at SoCal Comics. So I was checking out, and I had picked up Spider-Man 7, which is the first appearance of Spider-Boy. Mm-hmm. And um, I had contacted SoCal Comics when I saw that it was coming out, and I was like, hey, can you put one of these in my inbox? And the, Caitlin responded, she said, hey, we're sold out, but do you want this variant cover by Humberto Ramos? It was 20 bucks. I was like... Let me call. I didn't tell her this, but I ended up calling yesteryear, which is a comic store nearby, mm-hmm. and they had r- regular copies available still. Okay. And I was like, you know what? I'm good on the variant cover. Um, it's all good. And then so I had her put that back, and I picked up two copies of Spider-Man 7. I gave one mm-hmm. to Ralph because he's a huge comic book fan, and or Spider-Man fan specifically. So I was like, okay, he can have one of these. I'll keep one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the Humberto Ramos cover in socal comics today it was 45 dollars when they yeah when caitlin showed it to me it was six it was 20 yeah. and i was just like 20 bucks eh, i don't know <laughs> it's a cool cover i don't know 
okay i hemmed and hawed and and i was like yeah i don't i don't think i'm gonna do it and then so yeah i saw the 45 bucks and i was like yep should have done it yeah i'm done man yeah oh well oh well yeah Uh, yeah. i mean you never you didn't want it in fairness you didn't want it i did want it the thing is i did because it's from brother ramos he's i love from brother ramos he's one of my favorite artists um the cover was dope it has it's the um spoiler version of the cover because it announces this character and Mm -hmm. you know i read the issue and like he appears on the last two pages so it was just kind of like he was the spoiler of that that issue um but it would have been his first cover appearance and it's drawn by Humberto Ramos I was like fuck it's a cool looking cover I just don't know if I want to part with twenty dollars and it's just like yeah I was being a what is it a um pound wise a penny foolish something like that it's the reverse penny wise a pound foolish I think is that reversed one of those two things it's British uh but anyway yeah I'm dumb I mean British currency who actually it turns out what is it like five percent of our demographics are actually in the uk so they knew they knew you fucked up immediately they did automatically automatically they were just like oh this guy i did want to just go random for a second here and just i just want to share some joy i want to share some joy oh okay and the the joy is so yeah metallica's new album came out last week that in itself is not the most awesome thing it's perfectly fine look anytime a band has been making music for 40 years if they can put out something semi-passable you're fine you know like you don't you don't expect transcendent records 40 years into a career their new album came out i went ahead and got it because that's who i am it's fine it's it's good it has like three really good songs and then almost everything else is good there's only one song i don't like so it doesn't quite have the highs and lows of their last album um and i may have mentioned this to you before I apologize if I did, but I already bought tickets to their concert. They're doing a tour and they're coming through here in August. In fact, Rachel is going with me. Yeah, she had she had expressed interest in I was like, if you ever, you know, she says I'd like to go to a metal show with you sometime. And I was like, which one? Who would you want to go to? And she said this like eight months ago. I was like Metallica. And I'm like, all right, cool. Well, they don't have anything coming out. But if they ever come around, I'll keep it in line. And then goddamn it, if they don't announce an album like two weeks later, I was like, they're going to tour off that. And then sure enough, they did. Um, So the album's fine, but that's actually not what's bringing me the most amount of joy right now. Do you think that how many times have you listened to it? And do you think that it has the possibility of growing on you with the more that you listen to it? It probably will. It'll. I don't know. The The thing is that four of the song, I have heard four of the songs, I had heard four of the songs prior to album release because they released the first one like four months ago. So they have leaked four singles off the record. They're four of the stronger singles off the record. So, I mean, it's fine. It's... It's as good as Hardwired, which was their last record. Again, without the lows, some of the songs on Hard- Hardwired, I am just not a fan of. Um, but but this one is pretty. This one is more solid through and through. It may not have the highest highs, but it also doesn't have the lowest lows like Hardwired did. Um, okay. it, it may grow on me. I'm not sure. But but what it's but most importantly for me, what's really brought me the joy is that. Because Metallica is, you know, a global phenomenon, basically, uh, Sirius XM is doing a pop-up Metallica station. And so oh. they have a Metallica has a channel 
on Sirius XM through like May 5th or something like that. And it's nothing but Metallica or bands that, that members love or bands that are going on tour on this tour with them. And it's just nothing but Metallica, Metallica deep cuts, just Metallica 24 seven. And it That's has been cool. so great, dude. It's been so badass Cause it's like, it's like me going through my own collection, but I don't have to care. I don't have to actually have agency. I can just listen to shit come up, you know, like I don't, I don't have to put the work in to select it. So yeah, man, it's, been great i just found out about it like two days ago three days ago when i was listening to one of their other stations i was like holy fuck there's a metallica station ever since then it's been the only station i listen to on xm um well with with the minor exception of listening to basketball on the way home as i drove home from meeting with my friend so uh how you feel hey how are you feeling no it's it's as we uh, so look again we've dated ourselves greatly the Lakers series is 1-1. The Sixers just won game three against Brooklyn um, in what I thought for sure was going to be game three against Brooklyn, which was Brooklyn was going to put up a huge fight and then Philly was going to squeak it out in the end. That's exactly what we did. Because um, when you're up 2-0, the other team's fighting for their lives and hey, Philly won. So where are you, man? It's 1-1 um, and it's back in LA tomorrow night. The second game was a huge disappointment, but it was also very much what I expected to happen to a degree. I thought we were going to win. I really did. Um, But here's what I knew was going to happen. I knew AD was going to disappear, and I knew D'Lo was going to disappear. Because (laughs) what sucks is... didn't happen, yeah. Yeah, they both happened in the same game. But uh, on top of that, not only did they both have terrible shooting nights, LeBron had a terrible shooting night from three... But everything else was fine. He was driving. He was taking mm-hmm. mid-ranges. He was good. No problems with that. Sometimes you have a bad shooting night from three, and that's okay. Um, Rui was awesome. Again, two games in a row, Rui was amazing. So hopefully that solidifies him in the rotation and um, uh, moving forward because um, he's, he's, I believe, a free agent this offseason. So, but the, the, both the team and Rui have interest in re-signing and... Um, at first, I thought that was in jeopardy because of Darvin Ham's shit rotations, mm-hmm. and Rui was not getting minutes for quite some time. He actually had some DNPs, uh, coach's decision, and I was like, we're going to lose this dude. We're going to lose him because Darvin Ham sucks, mm-hmm. And uh, but Rui has worked himself back into rotation, and so that's all good. But um, yeah, it was a terrible mess. It was so frustrating to watch the fact that the Grizzlies had three of their starters missing or three of their key pieces missing and we still lost that game was just like, you guys, this is fucking terrible. This shouldn't be happening. And, um, you know, we we clawed our way back to about six points within, you know, uh, but it it wasn't enough. Um, And, you know, it wasn't just those two guys that were fucking up. Um, or didn't have their shots. It was Austin Reeves as well, who's been very consistent, and his shit wasn't falling. So it was just, I came to the conclusion by the end of the night that it just wasn't our night. Mm-hmm. But the hope is after that terrible loss, and uh, again, this is from a blast from the past um, for you guys. Uh, hopefully, the next few games they've destroyed the Grizzlies as they should have in the second game, and just imposed their will onto the team and that's what should have happened in game two and that's what it should have happened it should have been a sweep and we should have got some rest but unfortunately Mm -hmm. what's happening is the sacramento kings are handling the warriors quite well so Mm -hmm. they might finish the series before us and they might get the rest that we need because we're an older team you know at least our two main stars are older teams or older players so um 
actually it's just LeBron. LeBron's the only old person on the team now that I think about. It. We revamped the team. <laughs> but um and he's the AD, only one who showed up to play last night. Yeah, and, and A D has the body structure of a of a fifty five year old man he gets hurt so often. Mm-hmm. And uh D'Lo too, unfortunately he has like how bird, dare uh, you? I'm 51 and I don't get hurt that often. <laughs> right. Yeah. D'Lo has like bird bones or something like that. And he's fucking getting yeah, hurt all yeah. the time. So, yeah. Anyway, man, it's been frustrating. Um, and I knew it was coming because I was so high off of that first game and how they dominated. I'm like, this is how they should fucking play all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching every interview. I was watching every replay I could do. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, then, then they just shit the bed the next game. Yeah. And I'm miserable. And I'm in a terrible mood. And like my girlfriend's trying to console me. And then every five minutes she's asking me if I'm still upset. And it's just like, I was like, you <laughs> like, got to stop damn asking it, yes. me that. <laughs> yeah. You keep bringing it back up. It's not helping. You stop talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, don't talk to me till Friday night when game three is going on. <laughs> right. It's, it's Saturday. Actually, the game's not until Saturday. Oh my God. So, you got to wait till yeah. Saturday for that shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. So they better fuck them up. Uh, I'm going to have Saturday. game. My series is going to have game four done before yours even tips off game three. That's crazy. Yeah. You guys are moving at a quick pace, like already having your third yeah. game. It's nuts. I mean, that, well, that's what happens when the NBA knows that. I mean, look, the series has been interesting within the confines that everyone knew would, would, would exist in which was Brooklyn was going to give Philadelphia a bit of a hard go, but they're not on our level, you know? And Hey, you know, the part of the fun of recording this podcast is we record, you know, whatever, a little bit of a week and a half in advance to give ourselves a buffer, which means that, Hey, Brooklyn could have come back and, and won the fucking series for all I know. We don't know, (laughs) you know, hopefully, hopefully we are in the second round and Philly is playing Boston right now. And that's probably the series of the second round. I I would love to say maybe Atlanta will upset Boston, but there's just no way, man. That is the biggest mismatch of the first round. Like that's the difference. Boston will smoke Atlanta. Yeah. That's the difference between uh, the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is very much. Um, divided into the top five teams or the top five teams and the bottom five or the bottom five. Yeah, I'd even say top three. Just Philly, oh, three. Boston, yeah. Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee are better than everybody else, right? Yeah. And then New York and Cleveland are kind of their own little B-level tier. And then after that, it's just teams that, you know, like Brooklyn. Brooklyn tries hard and they're really it's fun and It's a fun scrappy, team, but, but they're no not talent. there. They don't have yeah. the talent of the top Whereas three, the Western you know? Conference is gangbusters and everyone Hell yeah. has a chance. So it's just yep. like... You except know, Minnesota. The, except yeah. for Minnesota. That was going to say the one in eight is the only one that's not a real challenge. But then everything else, you know, the two seven. Anybody um, can win it. Yep. Any, yeah. Anybody, mm-hmm. any any one of those other seven teams could win their first round series. Yeah. So or it's, six it's teams, a little more interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, eh, it is what it is. And we'll, we'll, we'll see. see how it goes. But well, um, when, when we, I, when all we I listen know is, back to this, we'll know some shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, the thing that I learned is I need to drink before the game. <laughs> because then I'll just be in a good mood. It's like, hey, whatever. I'm, I'm what faded. Is? Yeah, then you wake up the next day and you only you only sort of remember it if it's a loss. That's the best part. Yeah, yeah. Just keep it. Have a couple of a couple of these nine percent at uh, uh, nineteen ounces, and I think I'll be yeah. fine. Hey, speaking of, why don't you give that a rating? How did you like it? You've probably gotten to the bottom of it. We're at the end here. So, what'd you think of it? All right. So I give Golden Road Brewing right on. Uh, 10 Hop Hazy IPA, 7.5 ABV, uh, 19.3 ounces of this bad boy. I give it a 7. It's solid. Okay. Um, if you're not a Hazy fan, this isn't going to change your mind. It's it's okay. Um, as far as Hazy flavors go, you know, 
I'll give it, I'll keep it at a seven because of the price point and how much alcohol I'm getting. Mm-hmm. But if this was a 16 ouncer, I would probably give it a 6.5 because okay. it's, again, it's not going to change your mind. It wasn't my favorite hazy that I've had. It didn't have that super smooth finish to mm-hmm. it. It had a little bit of it, but it wasn't fully there. So yeah, I would say a 6.5 is a little more accurate. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with a 7 for mine for this uh, Dark Abyss Black Kolsch. There's something weird about black beers. It's just there's some kind of flavor to it that I don't quite love. Um, And so, look, I appreciate the creativity. I didn't mind drinking it. I won't mind drinking the other one. Um, But but that said, you know, it's... It's fine. I mean, a seven is a pretty good solid beer. I'm not going to turn it away, but I'm also not going to exactly recommend it to people. It's a little it's a little funky and that's OK. Beer clubs are here to bring the funk, but sometimes that can get a little experimental and you have to be you know, sort of in the right mindset. So I enjoyed it. But seven. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, hey, you can find me on the Web at www.keithrfoster.com. <laughs> Old school. Old school, baby. We're going web first because my mailing list is on the main page. And that's something we've talked about before. Scott and I were just talking about this. We love social media. Well, we hate to love social media or love to hate social media, however you want to say. It's a necessary evil when you're a creator. Um, And so on Instagram, since we're here, you can find me at Keith underscore Invader. But... If you go to the website, you can sign up for my emailing list and then you can just hear from me all the time. You won't have to wonder if I have something going on because the algorithms are limiting my reach, right? So yeah, man, go to the website, scroll down to the bottom, sign up for the mailing list, and then you'll get info as it happens. While we're here, I should also mention the Animals Kickstarter is underway. So check that out. Brand new horror from me, issue one. The second issue is going to come out sometime in the future. I'm working on that right now. But yeah, man, pure horror and uh, and I hope you like it. Animals get infected by a gene that makes them want to hunt and kill people. I mean, not wrong for it. I get it. <laughs> we deserve it. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. And if you want to pick up my books, uh, go to accidentalaliens.com. You can get Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes by Night, Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. Those are all at accidentalaliens.com. Yeah. Five. Five stars. The Fivenest, Starsinest podcast is what you've been listening to. And you know what to do. That means you go over to your rating engine and you give us the only rating that is acceptable, which is five stars for your boys, Scott and your boy, your boys, Scott and Keith. And, uh, and make that happen. And if you have a few minutes, give us a, give us a review. As we have mentioned before, you know, we, we don't do Patreons. Um, we don't put ads in the middle of our show. We talk about our books. And if you like what you hear and you want to check out our stuff, that's the thing we like the most. If you don't have the money, it's okay. Odds are you have two minutes. And you can go there. You can give us a review. Maybe write us some words. It's going to help us. It's going to help more creators like you go through this comic-making journey that we are all on. Hey, uh, quick, is is this coming out before Free Comic Book Day? Yes. 
All right. So me and Keith will be at SoCal Comics for free comic book day. So if you happen to be down in the San Diego area or, hey, you're close by and you're in L.A. and you want to see what we've been talking, the shop that we've been talking about on the pod for the last couple of years now, come down to Southern California Comics. Uh, down here in San Diego on Free Comic Book Day. We'll be there selling our wares. That's easy for you to say. Uh, Selling our wares, uh, art, prints, comic books, um, Keith's soul might be for sale. Who knows? Uh, Hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, concerns, uh, something you heard about on the pod briefly and want to hear more about, if you have any... uh, uh, ideas for a main topic for the show something that might be interesting or just something you've been wondering about in the process of making comics and we haven't talked about hit us up at making comics podcast at gmail.com yeah i actually sent scott a note yesterday on um, some main topics i've thought of and we've got a nice little queue of main topics to talk about these next few weeks but we are happy to take your idea if it's good and throw it on the pile and get it in the queue so yeah man hit us up hit us up so hey we did it we made it we made the world's best cup of coffee and uh, and I will see you next week, my dude. Yeah, yeah.